welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello, this is Buddy C. Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. Good to have everyone today. Let's see, we have Amy and Kate and Marla and Chris and Craig and Sensei, good to have you, sir. Happy to be here. Thank you for joining us. And today we'll be talking about the 23rd verse of the Tao Te Ching. And Sensei will be sharing with us uh, from the Zen perspective. I really enjoy them all, but I really I like this one. It's got one of my favorite quotes in this one. A couple announcements. BuddyC.org has a resources page with a lot of good things there, including a sign up for a daily Tao devotion. If that's something that you would like to do, I'm, uh, I've been writing uh, some affirmations with a thought with a Tao quote. Keep in mind that these have not been to my editor yet, aka Kate, who's here today. And so uh, there's a lot of mistakes, a lot of grammar errors and that kind of thing. So just bear with it as I work through it. That's really good. What else we got going on at the 9 p.m. Eastern online meeting of AA, ZoomAAMeetings.com. We've got some other things in the episode notes. We've got our Facebook page, the link there in the episode notes. Craig kind of manages that for us. Thank you, Craig, for all your service, by the way. You do a lot behind the scenes, so thank you. You're thank very you. welcome. Makes my job a little easier. I try to get him to pass those things on to his sponsees when he will. I'm trying to let go as hard as I can. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted to plug my book, The Original Frontier. For those of you who are not familiar with it, the Serious Seekers Guide to Zen. It's kind of a manual for meditation for home practice. So we think newcomers put it to good use. Got good reviews. I think so, Sensei. I I saw a lot of very practical instruction there too. A lot of questions that people have concerning meditation. Sensei's book answers. There's some links in the in the episode notes actually too that pertain to your book, and then a link at buddyc.org and on the book yep. resources page for your book yep. as well. So thank you. This is the favorite chapter of most people: finding workarounds for your lousy excuses. <laughs> I, I actually worked for a Canadian company once. Who, Name was Dylex, D Y L E X. The acronym actually meant damn your lousy excuses. <laughs> well, that's where that comes from. I have, I, have a, I have a question for Sensei. Okay. By the way, I've, I've read both of these. I think Buddy recommended this one, the Jonathan Starr, and I've got the Wayne Dyer book as well. I think most of us have those. Okay, Sensei. So I've started reading a book with one of my sponsees by it's by Pema Children. Pema Children, I okay. think I've, yep. I hope I've said the name right. And yep. she keeps mentioning Bodhicitta and Bodhisattva. Mm-hmm. Right. So I know 
you, you, you're probably sitting there thinking, Craig, we discussed this on day one when we met, but could you explain to me as if I was five what they actually so, mean? Those terms, Bodhi, bodhicitta is a way of uh, describing the whole mind. And this goes back to mind science, you know, millennia ago. By the way, I noticed in here that uh, Lao Tzu apparently was 25, around 2,500 years ago, as was Buddha, right about the same time. So about that time, uh, you know, Buddha was, uh, in his teachings, if you read uh, the transcriptions from those periods, they were not written down, of course, at that time. But he's, he's always referring to what I would call the science of the times. So they had they knew about the fetus in the womb. So they they had to do some sort of dissection of corpses. They had biology. They had botany. They had pharmacology. It would, by our standards, we would consider it very primitive. But if you when you read these early transcriptions of Buddhist teachings, he's always not always, but he's frequently referring to something that you would call the science of the times. And so they had their own psychology. They had uh, what I would call mind science. <clears throat> and the way they broke the mind down was in various various ways. And the senses, the six senses, they included thinking, the thinking mind as one of the six senses, along with eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, and so forth, our five senses. They included thinking mind, which is chitta, Easy to remember because Tarzan's uh, chimpanzee companion is, was named Cheetah. <laughs> the Cheetah means uh, analytical thinking mind, dis- dis- discriminating mind. Bodhi is, uh, means wisdom, something like wisdom, wisdom mind. I think the simpler analog for us would be one is an- an- analytical, one is intuitive, the difference between analysis and intuition. And uh, so bodhicitta uh, describes the whole mind. And the theory, one of the theories in Zen and Buddhism in general is that we're way too far over on the side of cheetah. The educational system, our culture, our parents, our peer groups, all of the influence influences on us as we grow up. No, your parents don't want to talk about your dreams you had last night. You know, they don't want to, they want to hit the books, you know, get a job, get good grades, get a good job. So uh, one theory of our practice is we're just way too far over on that side uh, of cheetah. And we call it monkey mind because like a monkey, it's you know curious and looking into everything and never satisfied and so forth. And we we say, don't try to empty your mind of thoughts. That's like taking that on directly, and that monkey will become a 600-pound gorilla. You will lose that fight. So you go along with cheetah, just let it go, and like a kitten or puppy dog, it'll run its tether out eventually and settle down and be quiet. Then Bodhi mind can arise. Bodhi mind is more like background mind, intuition, uh, based on feelings and uh, gut level, gut level, not not up in all up in the head. So that's that's a, a simple explanation. Bodhicitta and bodhisattva. Sattva means being. So bodhi means uh, wisdom or enlightenment, uh, enlightening or insight. Bodhi and uh, 
kind of a goal, I guess, of practice, although we don't like to set goals. So bodhisattva, sometimes are called enlightened being, enlightened, E-N-E-D, but we like the term enlightening. They, a bodhisattva is an enlightening being. That is a person like like G, like Buddha or like Jesus, Muhammad, I suppose, who dedicated their lives to helping others before themselves. So this is the bodhisattva vow. We vow to help save all other beings, help free all other beings from their own ignorance and so forth. And then, of course, in our lives, we run into what we call negative bodhisattvas, our bad boss syndrome, people who are teaching us the Dharma in ways we don't particularly appreciate. <laughs> but we bow in their direction because they're teaching us the Dharma, whether we like it or not. So a bodhisattva has the sense of a being, a sattva. Sattva is a being. Bodhi is an enlightening being. And bodhicitta is those aspects of the mind. Fantastic. Okay. Thank you very much. That answers that. Thank you very much. Okay, let's read the 23rd verse. Anyone have a, I like the Stephen Mitchell translation of that. There's a lot of good. Uh, you usually put those up and share them, don't you? The, the yeah, I put the link for the in the in the chat, Sensei. Thank okay. you. Okay. Uh, it's there. Um, I want to read Stephen Mitchell's. If you guys have one particular you'd like to read, we'll do that. Uh, express yourself completely then keep quiet <laughs> yeah be like the forces of nature when it blows there's only wind when it rains there's only rain when the clouds pass the sun shines through if you open yourself to the Tao you are at one with the Tao, and you can embody it completely. If you open yourself to insight, you're at one with insight, and you can use it completely. How about this one? If you open yourself to loss, you are at one with loss, and you can accept it completely. Open yourself. This is my this is one of my favorites here. Open yourself to the Tao, then trust your natural responses and everything will fall into place. Anyone have um, a comment or a version they would like to share? Oh, uh, you're muted since I'm sorry. I, I muted you a moment. Go ahead, sir. But you need to unmute. Oh, can you unmute? should be able to something's not okay i couldn't get into okay just uh one quick comment on bodhicitta again that last comment you uh as long as um as long as uh your natural response is not that of chita because that is a natural response uh, but it can be defensive. It can lash out. It's like a monkey. Uh, it's all survival oriented. So I would have the one caveat that, you, you know, your natural response in many cases can be the monkey. <laughs> so 
I think yeah, that's, all, say that's, that's also why, a natural response. <laughs> yeah. I think that's why it says to first open yourself to the Tao. Yeah. So yeah. that would be the the caveat would be that you have to open yourself right. to the Tao first, which would be right. uh right. not going in the monkey mind direction, I think. Well, it's it's interesting you said that, Sensei, because I've found myself lately just reacting to things more rather than responding to them. And in the 12-step recovery, we always say, look, we need to practice these principles in all our affairs. When I'm not at work, I think I'm an amazing guy. I think I'm just an absolute (laughs) pop bloke. Nothing phases me. But the minute I start work, it's almost as if I am just pre-programmed to just react to everybody else's... um, yeah. I was going to say everybody else is incapabilities of doing their job. Um, You'd be amazed at how livelihood comes up in Dokusan all the time. That's one of the top three, I would say. Yeah, it's almost as if you know, old gloves are off. You know, that's it. It's just yeah. every, every time I switch on my computer in the morning, it's like the gauntlet's thrown down. Let's you know, somebody's lit a fuse and let's see how long it takes before Craig absolutely blows. Yep. Yep. So people push your buttons, you know, a guy came into Dokusan and he had been in a five day retreat with us a few weeks before. And he said he go, went back to the office and there was this guy who always pushes his buttons. And he came in and started trying to push his buttons again, but he said the buttons were just gone. And uh, so to Buddy's point, you know, if you truly open yourself to the Tao, those buttons will be gone. That's the theory, anyway. Yeah, you know that's the question. Since say, how do we, how do we, how do we open ourselves to the Tao, or how do we, how do we do that? I think would probably be a a good a good place to go with the discussion. Maybe. Uh, well, the how the how in in Zen is always the same answer: just sit. And it's not meant to be flippant. It sounds flippant, or it sounds dismissive, like it, you know. If you were just as uh, enlightened as I am, you wouldn't have any problem with this. You would just sit. And it's, you have to be a little careful being too glib about all this because we all have this same problem. I mean, I have, I'm meeting with somebody for lunch tomorrow who's just been driving me nuts lately. She's <laughs> one of the members of our board. And it's, got, you know, and I know there's a lot going on in his life, but I don't know why somehow I'm the problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that it happens, and uh, it's 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 a uh, it's real stuff. And these are the negative bodhisattvas, the bad boss, you know. Yes. So so uh, we have there. I, I have sent some of you. I think, buddy, I sent it to you a non-directive interview technique that I learned in doing consumer research, and uh, it has ways of engaging a dialogue either with a group in a focus group or with a individuals where you don't want to bias the meeting, you don't want to bias the information. And it comes in very useful in sticky situations like that, where you end up interviewing this person that you have a problem with. And they then start to see you as somebody who's a a listener, who wants to listen, who's interested in them. And so this guy said he, uh, he, the, the guy came in to push his buttons and they just weren't there. And then he said, we just started getting along famously and, we became best friends and best workers together at work. So he was obviously doing something he was unconscious of. 
that he was re- the, the way he was reacting. He might have just stiffened up when the guy came in. We call it bridling. You know, he might have just reacted in such a way. And then she always does this. Then I do that. And then she does this. And then I do that. And the, here we go. You know, it's a feedback loop, and you go through the you go through the ceiling with it. Well, there's something about meditation and absorbing these observations of the Tao that can give you a leg up on the situation, I think. You could think of it that way, give you some distance. So the next time this comes around, whether it's your spouse or your boss or your child or whatever, you can have a little greater distance from it and not suddenly be enraged you know, and reacting, as as Craig was saying, rather than responding, knee-jerk reaction, you know, and it just inflames the situation. So I think our, our practice of meditation helps us develop patience. And I think the Tao, Tao, what I see in Taoism is he's just encouraging you, they are just encouraging us to practice and develop patience. Yeah, Amy made a comment, take contrary action to the way I feel. That's good. Yeah. Um, for for me, it's just sitting with it, like you said. How can I, how can I introduce uh, kindness into this situation, or or loving kindness? Any any of those, uh, any of those actions for me is is where I need to start. There was a famous teacher in in China, Guinong, sixth patriarch in China, so he's very very early. Uh, I don't know, around 600s or something like that. Anyway, he uh, he was uh, illiterate. He couldn't read or write. Uh, he had a profound insight experience. So he's an example. Like he and Buddha, he and Shakyamuni are the only two in history that did not have a teacher uh, before they were enlightened or before they had this profound insight. So he's highly, highly regarded. And he... Uh, he went, moved to southern China and became the head of the southern, so-called southern school. And uh, he was visited by a young monk one day who was lecturing. Or, or the, 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 what you did in those days is you'd come in to meet the teacher. You'd bow, walk around their chair three times and do prostrations three times, formal way of greeting. And then you would make your point. You would say something and then they would respond. So he started, this young monk started expounding what they called the doctrine of double double vision or double sight. And Huynan cut him off and said, stop spreading that dirt around here. I will, I will expound this doctrine for you. He said, I have this double vision. I see clearly my own faults. I do not see the faults of others. So that's how he explained it. But you have to think, he just cut this kid off as if you know, he's blaming him, you know, or finding fault. But and at the same time, he's saying he doesn't see the faults of others. So you have to say, what does he see in their behavior? How does he see, you know, if you, the people push your buttons, how do you see their behavior? What is it? So you could answer glibly and say, well, it's their suffering. I can see it as their suffering. So I think a, I think a head shift has to change 180 degrees. Where instead of seeing this person as the problem and your enemy and so forth, you have to see their suffering. Would part of that be not taking their actions personally? That's, that's well, very, very definitely, because they're going to treat everybody else the same way. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yeah, that's something that 
uh, that's one thing that I try to do is not not take uh, take their actions personally. Uh, I was just kind of jotting some things down. Anything else, guys? How do y'all approach that? I usually start by taking their inventory. <laughs> and then by take, taking the what? Taking their inventory and then telling them what's wrong with them. <laughs> we call it a four and a half step. I'll tell you what's wrong with you. I had um, a yoga student who had MS back when I was doing that. And she just rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't, you know, like she was glib or whatever. And I was, I was having a real problem with it because I had to teach her and touch her and, and I had to be kind because I'm a, I'm her teacher. And I was like, she rubbed me the wrong way. So I, I, I had to think about it. I turned it around. And I thought, what can I do to make me feel better about her? And it was, it was almost like I made, once I made that awareness apparent, I, the light bulb turned on. Like, I just got to change the way I see her. And I did. And now, you know, well, it made teaching much easier. And we softened up towards each other, too. She softened up when I softened up. It's really, it's remarkable. That's good, Marla. Thank you. Change, change the way we see it. You know, that reminded me, uh, starting next week, we're going to go through Byron Katie's teaching. And one of her things is turning it around you know, and putting ourselves in their position, like, uh, uh, that's good. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. Anything else, guys? How else do you, do y'all approach this? How do you open yourself up in a situation like that, that you need to look at things differently? How can I see this differently is the way Karen Casey says it. How can I see this situation differently? So on, on a serious note, if, if I'm out driving, because I spend a lot of my time out in the road. Um, I come up against a lot of learner drivers and a lot of people that aren't maybe going as quick as I like to go. Um, so what I like to do is I, I kind of, I like to think that maybe it's my son or my daughter that's in the car in the front and maybe they're just learning to drive or maybe it's just yeah, somebody yeah. that I knew that is, is just not as confident on the road. Um, so kind of thinking to myself, do you know what, if that was my son, in the car at the front, would I really be riding as close to him and flashing my lights as many times as I do, you know, or, or am I going to be a little bit more compassionate, give him a little bit more time, get a bit more confidence on the road and just, you know, just give him the space that he needs to do what he needs to do. Have you heard? Uh, yes, it's a, yeah, my, my wife is like that when she's driving, she's saying, come on, sweetheart, come on, you know, we all have to get home. And uh, sometimes, <laughs> I had a similar thought to what Greg mentioned where I would, I know a lot of people through the Zen Center. Uh, it's likely that they're out there on the expressway. I'm rarely out there, fortunately, but when I am. So sometimes I will think, well, that that could be so-and-so from the Zen Center. Who knows, you know? So you have a little more forgiving attitude. And uh, the other thing I do is uh, I think you think of... Uh, you're either in the car or you're on the road. You can be both, uh, but 
we have accidents because people are in the car, they're paying attention to the radio, the telephone, this and that, you know, and they run into somebody. They're not on the road. They're not paying attention to being on the road. Um, you can be on the road, but you can get to the point where you're just so bent out of shape by it because all the crazy drivers are doing stupid things. So you have to be in the car a little bit more. So it's kind of a balance of being, being in the car or being on the road or a balance between the two of them. If you're in the car, you're trying to be safe, you know. I like to remember the story that Buddy told us one time that he was he was he was riding this guy's ass. And it, are you taking my? Don't tell my story. I'll tell. Let me tell it. Let I'm telling tell you inventory. It. Right, on you go. You, you tell. You tell them, buddy. I was actually fixing to tell that story. It was Sunday morning. <laughs> I meet with a sponsee on. I used to meet with a sponsee on Sunday morning, sensei, and uh, I was running a little late. And we have this. We had this road on the way into town that. Says it's 35 miles an hour, but nobody goes 35 miles an hour. You go at least 50. And uh, this guy was going 35 miles an hour, and I was riding his behind, and I just wanted him to get out of my way. And I was push, push, pushing him. Um, and I was running late. I should have left earlier, and I didn't. Um, and I was going to turn left. He turned left. Then he turned left again like I was. Then he pulled into the uh, clubhouse parking lot where I was going. And uh, I was a little embarrassed, quite honestly. Uh, And the guy asked me, he said, is there a meeting this morning? I said, yes. He said, "Uh, yeah. He said, my wife just died and uh, I need a meeting this morning. (laughs) And, of course, you know how I felt. (laughs) I felt awful. And I've remembered that, and that uh, still resonates with me that uh, I need to show more compassion, even especially when I don't want to. Buddy, I'm so that's sorry. What, that's, that's monkey mind. <laughs> exactly. Monkey mind. Well, we, we have a large hospital. We, we have one of the main hospitals um, for central Scotland right on our doorstep, and if I'm on that road or if I'm in that vicinity and there is somebody there, then I do that. That story does spring my mind. I'm thinking to myself, maybe this person's looking at the hospital. Maybe this person's had some bad news and they're, you know, they don't not sure where they're going and they're, they're driving under pressure. Let's just, let's just give them some space. But my version of buddy's story has a punchline. So my version was going to be funnier. Tell it, Craig, please. No, no, that's right. You've ruined it. <laughs> He's ruined his own story. You know what I was going to say on top of that? It's like what this this verse says is basically shut up and listen. That that goes for everything. Shut up and listen. Yeah, it's, just, it's the thing I try to do going into uh, a meeting of any kind, even an AA meeting. I'll, if I'm having a problem focusing or just being there where I'm at, I'll go around the room and I'll uh, send love to each person. I'll just open my heart to that person. And I'll just ask, how can I be of service to this person today? And I'll go around the room and I'll focus on every every individual. And I'll say, I send love. Like if it was this room, I would say, uh, uh, I send love to Chris. How can I be of service to Chris today? How can I love Chris today? I send Chris love. How can I be of service to him? I open my heart to Chris today. And I would do that to each individual person. 
And uh, I am different by the time <laughs> I don't have to get far around the room before I'm different. And I feel different. And uh, I feel better, you know. Yeah, that's how I do it. Uh, anyone else have any any comments about how they open themselves up in those situations? Well, Buddha was said to have seen everybody as his children, and eventually he didn't mean that in a demeaning way, a condescending way, but just as a mother looks after her only child, you know, that developing that kind of attitude of concern. The three minds in Buddha, magnanimous, nurturing, and joyous mind. So the magnanimous mind is all-embracing, accepting, and so forth. The nurturing mind is concerned with helping others, and the, the joyous mind is kind of the synergy that comes from those two coming together. So it's not a condescending attitude, but you see people as your children, you have a parental kind of concern, you know. I quite like that because with Callum, he very rarely does what he's asked to do, but he, <laughs> will, always, he will always do what I do. So mm. if he's in the car or the van with me, how do I want him to approach these sort of things when he's driving? They want him to get angry and upset and you know, a bit more dangerous on the road or they want him to be a bit more tolerant, a bit more patient and a bit safer. So I think looking at it, what kind of what kind of influence do I want to have on the rest of the people? Yeah. It's, it's also it's, it's like one of the um it's like one of the traditions that we adhere to as well. We act on um we act on attraction rather than promotion. So do I want to attract people to the way that I'm living, the way that I'm doing things, or do I want to be promoting my defects of character of impatience, intolerance, fear, anger? Do I want to be showing these things, or do I want people to see the, the nicer side of me? And... Chris, you have anything, sir? Just showing compassion. You, you really never know what somebody else is dealing with at the moment that you're interacting with them. So it's... Um, it did occur to me, though, what you're talking about is nurturing the person that, uh, or the situation, uh, compassion and nurturing people bringing up their child as an example here is really a different, interesting way of looking at it, I think. So. Thank you, Chris. I want to read my version of that 23rd verse in Powerless But Not Helpless. I titled it Living Without Fear. Um, Be like nature, except what is without fear. A gale does not last all morning, it's only wind. A cloudburst does not last all day, it's only rain. Accept the actions of others just as we accept the actions of nature. Practice the way in all your affairs then you can live without fear. That's what you're talking about, Craig. Uh, do not fear success. Then you can thrive in success. Do not fear failure. Then you can thrive in failure. How is this possible? 
by helping someone else overcome their fear. So, yeah, it's very practical. It's in the, it's in the acceptance of what is, isn't it? Huh. It occurred to me in reading this, uh, I've got the, what's it called, it? Uh, Jonathan Starr, he says, speak little, hold to your own nature. A strong wind does not blow all morning. A cloudburst does not last all day. The wind and rain are from heaven and earth, and even these do not last long. How much less so the efforts of man, one who lives in accordance with the truth, becomes the embodiment of Tao. His actions become those of nature, his ways those of heaven. It is through such a one that heaven rejoices, that earth rejoices, that all of life rejoices. So I would think the rejoicing is through such a one that is our own rejoicing. Have you seen the new web telescope photographs of, is it Neptune with the big spot on it? Jupiter has a spot. Jupiter, that beautiful shot that showed the auroras and everything. And it occurs, you know, you learn that 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 spot is a continuous storm that is bigger than the entire planet Earth. When you read this, that a cloudburst does not last all day, a strong wind does not blow all morning. You have to, on the earth is the caveat. It doesn't mean for all time and space everywhere in the universe. And if we mess with it enough, if we get out of sync enough with the Tao, then it turns on us. As, and we may get winds that blow all day. <laughs> All I keep thinking of is it's a spiritual axiom. Anytime I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me, you know, and, and what does that really look like for me? Um, that means that I'm expecting someone else to behave the way I want them to behave, react the way I think they should react. And, um, you know, I'm just not in the business of, of outcomes or manipulating people or controlling people anymore, even though I have that delusion that I still can do that. And don't you know, the world would be great if you only did what I said. So, um, you know, there's a real reason. There's no coincidence at all that um, this Dow podcast started recording right as I recognized my need to separate myself from a situation where people weren't <laughs> doing things the way I thought they should, you know, and, and I really appreciate my ability to recognize that today. And I wouldn't have that ability to recognize that today if I didn't know things like get right with the Tao. How do I get right with the Tao? I take myself out of a situation that's making me feel icky, making me feel pissed off, making me feel any of those um, negative emotions that, um, you know, that I don't like to stay in very long. Acceptance of those moments, though, I think is key, because if I don't accept those moments as they are and acknowledge that they're happening, then how can I be responsible for the solution, right? I'm just going to stay in that problem and in that ickiness longer. And, you know, now I'm out here, I'm out of breath because I'm walking, but man, do I already feel better. I'm listening to y'all talk, you know, the the spiritual talk, and um, it's helping me to get right with the Tao, if you will. So again, no coincidence that we're talking about this. And the fact that you mentioned focus group, earlier in, in your uh, your paper, I did get a, a copy of that and I read that. Um, I literally was on a focus group <laughs> for work earlier. You know, there were there were a handful of us selected to participate this and and we were exactly talking about the employer brand and 
you know, the, the common themes that kept coming up was exactly like you just described in that, you know, we might have uh, one fire that we're trying to extinguish right now. And then all of a sudden there's right. another fire that pops up right. while we're still trying to extinguish this one. And, right. and so what I was able to bring to that meeting, not trying to sound egotistical, but it's, it's a direct result of working on principles and steps and traditions. You know, I try to bring unity back to that meeting and say, and, and then the sixth and seventh step where we talk about character defects and those survival skills, you know, how can, how can we take the challenges and the chaos of things that are going on and use those to our benefit, right? How can we learn from those? How can I grow from that? How can I turn that liability into an asset? And I've only done that through getting down to the innermost self, right? Working on myself and uh, my yeah. spirituality. And so it's really kind of cool that by doing that, I can bring that back into the, the workplace and, and bring yeah. that into my life. Someone else was talking about their children. And, you know, I can definitely see a huge difference in the way our older children handle life as opposed to the younger one who's had the benefit of sober parents for longer. I mean, right. it is right. just a night and day difference. And, and, it's, and it's all because of stuff like this. So, Well, look, look at what the military does in training and I, I didn't have the benefit of being in the military but I had a lot of friends and uncles and relatives who did and uh, they train and, and firefighters and first responders they all train through repetition over and over and over again so that when the when it hits the fan and there are out there stamping out fire after fire you know uh, in all kinds of crazy situations the training takes over and they do the right thing because they're trained. So I think what we're doing, and in, in especially in meditation, is, is that kind of training. It trains us by repetition, by doing it again and again, to be calm, uh, to be able to be calm. We learn what it's like to be calm so that when it hits the fan and we're in a situation, uh, we we could have a better chance of being calm in that situation. It's the same thing. It's just, it's what we mean by training. And that's, uh, in, I know in uh, retail stores, they train the, try to train the personnel there to deal with difficult customers and so forth. So I think everything that we're doing is a kind of training. You have to ask yourself, what are you training? Training your mind, training your body to respond. You know, and uh, trusting that training so that when you're in a bad situation, it can take over and you you will be able to not react, but actually respond to the needs of the situation. Yeah, for me. Thank you, Sensei. Uh, I just have to be open, you know, because I used to approach every situation as if I had it figured out, you know, <laughs> you know, I've got this figured out. If you will just do what, you know, what I think you should do, then this is going to be better. This is going to work the way I think it should work. So I really have to, um, now what I do is I try to listen. I try to, um, uh, just be open, you know, how, how can I, uh, how can I be of help to you? What is it that you really need? You know, what can I really, 
you know, what can I provide for you instead of, you know, I want you to do what I want you to do, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, and, and that really for me now, since say you're right, it really does start with just being, you know, can I let, the, what, what's the other, the other quote that comes to mind is, can I let the mud settle so that the right answer appears by itself, you know, without my help? Can I do that? That really is, you know, it's like we can't see our reflection in moving water. <laughs> that water has to be still for us to see our reflection. You know? I think maybe a sense of humor <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is, is required. Yes. Seeing yourself as kind of silly to begin with, you know. You know, and the thing is, uh, I used to think I had to come up with every answer. Yeah, there you are, Amy. You you came up with that at the same time I was thinking about. The answers will come if your own house is in order, you know. And the answer does come. We can I just think I told you the story once, but I had a, I had a heckler once, a Zen heckler. And uh, I was giving a talk at Stone Mountain here at the annual Japan Fest, and we were in a shelter, and it was after Katrina, and I was talking about those kinds of situations and, uh, you know, how do we handle crisis and so forth. <laughs> a woman in the audience said, well, what would you do if you were at Katrina? Just sit there? <laughs> I said, I don't know. You know, I don't know what I might have done. I might have run like crazy. I might have tried to help save other people. I said, but if you think you're not in the hurricane, you're fooling yourself. You know, we, we're just in the eye of the hurricane. It seems calm and still now, but that wall is coming. <laughs> Anything else, guys, before we close? We're up on the hour already. Well, Marla didn't say much. Marla, anything else? Oh, I have a lot to say, but I wanted other people to share too. So it was good meeting. You're, you're too polite. I am. I'm a giving. I'm giving. I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, dear. Thank you, Sensei. Yes. Thank you, sir. Anything else before we close? Just a bit on the silence. Uh, they spoke of Buddha's golden silence. You know, moss growing over your mouth. Uh, he would often not answer somebody who asked him a question, and uh, his his followers afterwards was he'd probably be a patron or somebody visiting and asking questions, and Buddha would not answer, and he would just sit there silently. And they asked him, "What? Why was? Why didn't he answer this question?" And he said, "Because if I had answered in the affirmative." he would have misunderstood it this way. And if I had answered in the negative, he would have misunderstood it this way. And so the true answer was golden silence. Golden uh, represents enlightenment, uh, probably because it's rare. And uh, so this, the person asking the question had to come to the conclusion themselves. And I think that's what Buddy's getting at with listening. If you listen and, and further, if you learn this interview technique to interview them and bring them out more and more, it's almost like the Socratic method, then they 
they will often come to the conclusion themselves. It seems obvious to you, you know, and, uh, but if you instead offer it, then they have to defend against it because it's your idea, not theirs. Like a kind of like a conversational or mental jujitsu, you know, you go, go with their, the power of their thrust to let them, let them come to this understanding themselves. What is the story that uh, Dennis always tells about uh, where, where they're, they're going to hide? Every, everybody used to have a superpower. Yeah, that was it. Thank <laughs> People started abusing it. So the, 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 big, the big god and the little gods got together and big god says, where are we going to hide it? So these people can stop abusing yeah. this superpower. Um, so they all came up with different ideas of where they can put it. But the big god was like, no, no, they'll find it there. They'll find it there. And then he turned around and says, you know what? We'll put it inside of every single one because none of them would think to look there. Yeah. So the moral is that we're, we're always looking for externals rather than really the answer that's within. In Buddhism, that's called the Mani Jewel the wish-fulfilling jewel, everybody's looking for it, but it's sewn into your garments. It's yeah. already there. Thank you, Sensei. Anything else, guys, before we close? No, it's been a great meeting as, as ever, Sensei. Thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. You are my favorite group. Happy to be here. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery. 